Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Redestine tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Complete and utter destruction last night from the Houston Rockets on the road at the San Antonio Spurs. And I know it's always tempting to immediately react to one game in what could be a seven-game series, but the Rockets made the Spurs look old. They made them look uncomfortable. They made them look totally outclassed in the opener on the road in San Antonio. And again, the challenge in any NBA series is all sorts of craziness can happen in one game. It's possible. I would love to see the data on this. It's possible that you go out and lose the first game as badly as the Spurs did and then come back and play outstanding basketball. But I would bet, and again, this is like some real stat maven detail. I don't even know if it's possible to find this. What percentage of the time does a team that loses by 27 at home in game one of a series win that series? I'm not saying the the, the Rockets are going to go out and sweep the Spurs. But I would bet the number of times that a home team loses by 27 in game one and goes on to win the series is almost zero in the history of the NBA. Just tossing it out there. Again, I don't know what the data would reflect, and that's a really specific uh, specific search to try to find. But this was not a close game. This was not a game where you say, okay, this could have gone either way. I mean, this game was over at halftime. And I thought the Spurs just looked really old, despite the fact that Popovich has continued to arrest them, despite the fact that they won 62 games. I think that the Spurs may very well be done. And again, I would bet this wasn't just a win. It was a statement game from the Rockets. Now, 
the Spurs have to bounce back and win on Wednesday, right? Because if they lose on Wednesday, and I'm guessing that's when they're playing again, right? Wednesday night. If they lose this game on Wednesday night, the series is over. I don't think we have a Boston Celtics type situation where you could then come back and say, oh, you know what, we can win two on the road against the Rockets and then win the next two like the the Celtics did. I just, I don't foresee it. And now the early line is saying, oh, this, there's no way the Spurs are win- will lose. They're almost eight-point favorites on Wednesday night. So you would think they will bounce back from a 27-point deficit. But I said I think that I thought the Spurs would win in seven before this series started. I got to admit, I definitely would like a do-over after that first game because it didn't look like the Spurs were capable of winning this series. Again, I know it's tough to not overreact. Maybe, Maybe this is one where a 27-point win, it is worth reacting to. Uh, I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage. Let's go around the horn there. Jason Martin, is this series over? Are the Spurs going to lose to the Rockets? Well, I said yesterday the Spurs are going to lose to the Rockets, and my rationale was they couldn't score enough, and they've been beaten up. They're an older team outside of Kawhi Leonard and a couple of the little roll pieces. But, I mean, Kawhi gave you 32 minutes last night, scores 21 points, gives you 11 rebounds. There's a double-double right there. He blocks a shot for you, gives you six, six, six assists. But that's all. Like, how much better can Kawhi Leonard play on a consistent basis? And then you look at the reasoning for the Rockets. James Harden only had 20 points last night. Capella had 20 as well. Ariza had 23. But you have Eric Gordon, Lou Williams come off the bench to give you 24 combined points. And Nene gives you another seven. That's what the Spurs don't have. The Rockets are younger. They can outscore the Spurs. And that was that was why I picked Houston to win. Now, I'm not going to say that the series is over. But this just backs up everything that I said, which is I think the Rockets win this series in six games, and I'm not even technically sure it gets to six. I know you don't want to overreact, but this was an absolute beatdown. This was 69-39 to at the half, not even like in doubt at any point during this game. The Rockets could coast in the second half, and they were absolutely fine. So, I mean, I'm sticking with it, and I definitely believe Houston's going to win the series. I'll stick with six games. I can't say it's over because it's Popovich, because it's the Spurs, but I didn't think they had much of a chance anyway. I just think that's a team of fossils plus Kawhi Leonard. Danny G and Robert, are you going all in now on the Rockets, or you think the Spurs can win whatever it is, four of the final six games in this series, assuming that it needed to go seven? Well, on yesterday's show, I picked the Rockets in six, so I'm going to stick with that. I don't want to overreact either and count the Spurs out just because of one clunker of a game. I mean, they – they have a great core of players, great coaching. So, you know, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to be able to bounce back and at least win a couple of games. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to get run, but it is interesting when suddenly a team just kind of, you suddenly realize has no more gas, right? Like in the tank, they won 62 in the regular season. They showed, let's be honest, a little bit of wobbliness against the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are not that good of a team. They're an okay team, but especially without their full roster. Tony Allen wasn't playing for the Grizzlies. Um, those first two games, they looked pretty confident. Second two, they lost on the road. They could have lost easily game six. They could have had to go seven against the Grizzlies. And I thought at the time that we probably were underrating a little bit the performance that the Rockets had against uh, the the Thunder. I mean, the Thunder and Russell Westbrook, I mean, to win that series in five, I thought the Rockets looked pretty good. And... Man, 
this is uh, maybe a little bit of drama finally in the NBA playoffs. Now, you can also say it doesn't matter because the Warriors are still light years above potentially everybody else in the West, so it's really not going to matter. And the Cavs look pretty rested and healthy against the Raptors. And you got LeBron James dunking off the backboard off a of Kyrie Irving pass. You've got LeBron pretending to drink a fan's beer. Maybe the Raptors are going to come back tomorrow and actually be able to make a game, uh, a series of it. But it certainly didn't look like it in game one. But again, in these seven-game series, you don't necessarily want to overreact in a substantial way to what happens in one game. But my big thing about this would be I don't think very often the home team loses by 27 in game one and then wins the series. It's a statement win by the Rockets that I think will reverberate throughout this series. Now, Vegas is saying not just that the Spurs are going to win, but that they're eight-point favorites in game two, that they are an incredibly substantial favorite. So we'll see exactly what is going to transpire going forward. But it's enough to think. Can you imagine how much fun it would be to watch the two teams go up and down the court between the Rockets and the Warriors for however many games that series would last? And then also the excitement that could come from the Cavs and the Warriors playing. Am I wrong? Would you rather have the Cavs or Warriors play a best of 15 and eliminate the NBA playoffs down to like four playoff teams to start? Instead of starting with 16, would you rather watch the Cavs or Warriors play a best of 15? Just watch them play a ton of games against each other. You've got to win eight instead of winning four. A part of me, yes, would say I'd rather see a 15-game series between the Cavs and the Warriors, even though it's a massive series, than I would actually watch the first two rounds of the NBA playoffs. If I told you right now you can have Cavs-Warriors for 15, but you lose the first two rounds of the NBA playoffs, or maybe the first round, are you in or out, Jason Martin? Eight-team NBA playoffs, 15-game potentially, best of eight in the NBA Finals. I mean, that would be fun as long as I'm guaranteed to get the Rockets-Warriors because that's the series I was looking forward to the most before the playoffs started. That's the one that I wanted to see. And if you're just if you're just giving me the conference finals and the finals, I still get the Rockets and the Warriors, then I'll take that. But why would you even care? I mean, like, yes, the Warriors and the Rockets could be fun, but at the end of the regular season, the Warriors went on the road and handled the Rockets pretty easily, and then they also beat them at home. Like, I think the Rockets are going to lose even if they advance to the Warriors in five or six games. I don't have any faith at all that the Rockets are capable of beating the Warriors, absent, you know, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant running into each other and both getting knocked out of a game. I just don't see any way that's possible for the Rockets to win. I mean, you can make that argument. I don't look at the regular season to inform upon everything that's going to happen in the postseason, but... I mean, certainly the Warriors are my pick to win it all, like they are just about anybody else's. But a playoff series can lead to some strange bedfellows. It can lead to some strange turns of events. Patrick Beverly's an irritant. You never know. Maybe he gets under Draymond's skin and causes some kind of problem. Then there's a rift in the locker room. You know, I think there's a lot of fun to be had in that series. Even if they win it, I don't think the Warriors blow the Rockets out. I think those games are all close. They all probably go into the second half, maybe deep into the fourth quarter, at least three or four of them. That's that's it. Like those are the two teams that can score, unlike any other teams in the league. And that's you know that's what I want to see. I want to see a wide open West basketball with a bunch of teams or with a couple of teams that can really really score. You saw the Blazers score with the Warriors in Game One of that series when McCollum and Lillard went off. 
uh, that's what I want to see, and the Rockets can do that fairly consistently, whereas the Blazers couldn't. That's the difference. So even if the Warriors win it, I just think that series is going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch, presumed that we get it because it is the Spurs, but I still think Houston wins. Deji and Robert, eight-game playoffs, but you get a best of 15 in the title. Would you rather have that or a 16? A 16 is just too many. Clay, that's a terrible idea. For what reason? Because, I mean, everybody wants to say that the Warriors-Cavs is, you know, the marquee matchup because they are the two best teams. But we got the Warriors-Cavs last year in the finals, and only one of those games was close. So this idea that watching Cavs-Warriors 15 times in a row would be anything better than watching, you know, the Rockets and the Warriors or even the the Cavs and the Wizards, something like that, then that's that's crazy. I'd just like to reward the regular season more and eliminate the idea that 16 teams make the playoffs. I think eight should make – I mean, I think eight would be better because the bottom feeders are still the bottom feeders. You Give give me give me two rounds in the Western and Eastern Conference, I'd feel a lot better about it. I do think that it would kind of nullify the regular season to some extent. You'd watch it, but it would just – I don't know. You need more than that in the playoffs. You need eight. more than four teams. You need eight, eight. I would say, at That's least. what I said was eight. I mean, eight, I think, makes the regular season matter somewhat because it eliminates 22 teams. And instead of you play 82 games to eliminate 14 teams and you still have 16 left, and let's be honest, the NBA is not hockey where suddenly if you make the playoffs you can get hot and somebody can win the Stanley Cup. We've talked about this for a long time the only upset that occurred in the first round of the NBA playoffs, and I put the phrase upset in quotation marks, is the L.A. Clippers losing to the Jazz, and that was two teams with identical records. The five seed beat the four seed, and Blake Griffin got injured in game three and missed the rest of the series. So is it really that big of a surprise that that would end up happening? I don't think so. Okay, we talked a lot about this, probably in a way that other shows didn't. Gary on Conley was drafted, I believe, 24th overall in the first round by the Oakland Raiders. He finally talked to police yesterday. Remember, he was in the middle of a sexual assault investigation. And what he said was what I predicted might be going on here and why I said you can't take this guy in the first round. This is potentially a massive mushroom cloud of a mess for the Oakland Raiders with their first-round pick. If you haven't heard these comments yet, you need to hear them. All of a sudden, the story is changing. This is not a situation that you want to be involved in if you used a first-round pick on this guy. We'll talk about exactly what happened there and the dangers that could be still out there lurking for the Oakland Raiders and also Garyon Conley. That's next here on Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weeknights at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I talked about this last week because I thought it was one of the top stories going into the NFL draft, and it was the allegations that came out of Garyon Conley's trip to Cleveland, Ohio. According to the police report that was filed, Whether or not all of these details are accurate would have to be determined by a court, but this is the only story that we have seen out there 100%. Garyon Conley picked up a girl in the elevator. This is according to her police report. She went back to the hotel room. There was inside the hotel room Conley, according to the woman's police report. He tried to persuade her to have a foursome. She said that she was not willing to do that, but she would be willing to watch the other couple have sex. 
They had some sort of sexual encounter there. She claims that she said no and that Conley raped her. She left and went to the hospital where she had a rape kit done. She then declined to speak to authorities. The Cleveland police went back to the hotel. When they were there, they were able to talk to two individuals, two males who provided statements inside of the hotel room. Those two men significantly said absolutely nothing happened that there was no sexual interaction whatsoever between Conley and the woman. Police leave, and ultimately this story comes out a couple of days before the start of the NFL draft. Again, an allegation of sexual assault out of Cleveland. If you listen to the show, you'll recall that I said this made no sense, the way that this story was playing out, because if Conley was going to insist that there was no sexual activity whatsoever, then his attorney should have had Conley go straight to the police and make a statement before the draft actually happened. Because if you didn't have sex with this girl at all, then you've got nothing to fear. When she goes in and has the rape kit analysis done, there's not going to be any DNA connecting you to sexual uh, interaction with her at all. And so as a result, you're cleared as soon as they do the actual DNA test kit analysis. But I said, that's not adding up based on what we're seeing here. I'm putting my lawyer hat on. You represent somebody in a criminal case. If you believe what they're telling you, that they did absolutely nothing wrong, then you try to eliminate all the uncertainty surrounding this case and ensure that your client can be drafted as high as possible so that you don't have a Lel Collins situation where he's connected to a murder investigation from terms of wanting to talk to him, but he has absolutely nothing to do with what happened. And so as a result, Collins went totally uh, undrafted. Or a situation that potentially becomes a, a, a mushroom cloud develops and nobody will touch your client. You're going to try to find a reason why everybody wants to end up taking your client. Now, he did his best. There were reports that Gary on Conley was taking lie detector tests, that he talked to all these different teams, and obviously he persuaded the Raiders brass that nothing inappropriate ended up happening because otherwise, how do you give this guy millions of dollars? And what's crazy about this is I don't know exactly how this plays out now for the Raiders because there isn't a lot of negotiation that goes on when you're a first-round pick or one of the top picks in the NFL draft because it's all slotted compensation. Everybody makes, like the 24th pick is slotted in to make somewhere between what the 23rd and the 25th pick makes. There isn't a lot of actual negotiation that goes into this process. you got four years of guarantee, I believe, is still the way it's set up. And then a team has to make a decision about whether or not they want you sometime before the fifth year. The team has an option for a fifth year at a much higher rate of pay. But if you are the Raiders, what you've potentially done is bought into a massive lawsuit. Because now, the Raiders are hearing that Gary on Connolly is saying, oh, wait a minute, there was sex, but it was consensual. And what did I tell you last week? I said, if you allow your story to be there was no sex at all to the authorities. Now, Conley hadn't spoken to the authorities yet himself, but his witnesses were saying there's no sex. If you allow that story to get out there, And then when you actually talk to authorities, you take a step back and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. When I said there was no sexual contact and allowed that story to get out there so I could still get drafted, 
what I really meant was there was sexual contact, but it was consensual. Well, that's not going to help you with authorities at all because they're going to say, wait a minute. If we've got two guys who we took statements from that are now clearly lying, right, or they were misinformed, and they said no sexual contact happened, and now we got Conley admitting that some form of sexual contact happened, and it's become, instead of a, I didn't do it at all, which is what Conley's initial perspective was. And if you go back and listen to last week's show, I said, here's the challenge. If you allow your client's story to get out there of, I didn't have sexual contact with that girl at all, and then it shifts to, oh, wait a minute, my bad. We had sexual contact, but it was consensual. Well, if I'm an investigating authority, I probably take that to a grand jury or go ahead and file charges and let a court determine whether or not a sexual assault actually happened. And the witness statements are not very valuable now because if the two guys who gave statements to police are saying there was no sexual contact, well, we know that they're not telling the truth, that either they were lying or they were misinformed. So you're back to Garyon Conley telling one story and the girl telling another story. Now, maybe there's inconsistencies in her story, and certainly that's open. There's been reports that these couple, the couple might have met at a dance club or whatever else that they met somewhere out in Cleveland instead of meeting in the elevator, as she said. But again, that's not really material in the grand scheme of things as to whether or not a rape may have occurred. We don't know what the situation of her intoxication was. We don't know whether she can just say, look, maybe I met him at the at the club, but I might have met 50 other guys that night at the club. We don't know. She can legitimately argue perhaps that she didn't remember who he was. But this is a huge mess for the Raiders and obviously for Gary on Conley. Because if he gets charged with sexual assault, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, I'm going to say it could happen, then the Raiders are looking like idiots. And this is why I said you couldn't take this guy early in the first round because of this exact situation. This is a mess. And again, the statements initially from his attorney this was his official statement there were several witnesses including another female who were present the entire time and have given statements that give an account accurate account of what took place and those statements were that no sexual assaults took place that no sexual interaction took place well if the attorney's going to say those are accurate accounts of what took place actually they weren't you're now contradicting what the evidence that was provided by people who were on your side said And once you go from there's no sexual contact to, wait a minute, my bad, there was sexual contact, but it was consensual, as authorities, I'm not going to trust you. And this brings home my criticism of the Cleveland police beforehand. Why in the world did they not talk to Gary on Conley that night and get his official statement? It's the same problem that happened with Jameis Winston. The police did not do their due diligence and actually conduct an investigation and get a statement from this guy. Remember how the police didn't ever talk to Jameis Winston? Never got his side of the story. Because by the time they got to him, after they showed up at practice weeks later, or whatever the heck it was, he had already gotten an attorney and he declined to speak with police. Well, we'll see what this statement that Conley made was. My bet is it was a written statement. We don't know exactly what Gary on Conley told police, but if I were representing this guy... I wouldn't have him sitting asking all these sorts of open-ended questions. I would give a bare-bones statement as to his side of the story and provide it to police. 
And Gary Ann Conley is evidently saying this was a consensual sexual act and anybody else who's arguing otherwise is not telling the truth. But that's different than saying, oh, I never had sex with her at all. And I bring home, that's why he didn't talk to police before the draft. If you were the Raiders, you had to be smart enough to read these tea leaves. You had to say, wait a minute, if this guy did truly nothing at all, why didn't he talk to police in the weeks leading up to the draft instead of hoping that this story was never going to come out? It's a mess for the Raiders. It's a mess for Gary on Conley. And whether he did anything or not, the fact that the story is shifting here does not make me believe that he's telling the truth. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. I am Clay Travis. You are listening to Outkick, and we bring in now Casey Smith at K-A-Y-C-E Smith. She joins us every single Tuesday in the final hour of the show. Casey, congrats. Your show, which is on up in Boston, just got taken and made year-round yesterday, I believe, right? Yeah, we're excited about it. That means people are watching us, which... I'm, I'm happy about play. I'm going to be honest with you. I never know if I'm going to be on the air with you on Tuesdays or not because you, you get fired every week, I think. So <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just happy to be awake and you're not fired. So it's a good Tuesday so far. Last night I got to go watch uh, David Nail, who's a really talented country music uh, singer. And, uh, and as part of his performance uh, beforehand, we talked. And he was like, man, I listen to the show. And every day I think you're going to get fired. He's like, I, he's like, the other day I came home and I was like, I can't believe what I just heard Clay Travis saying on the radio. I think he's going to get fired. And uh, and his wife's also uh, awesome, but uh, but he, he was performing last night and he gave me a shout out, and uh, and and I appreciate that. But I do think there are a lot of people out there who are like, every single day you turn your radio dial on, you're like, man, this might be the day that Clay Travis gets fired. I certainly think that's what my wife thinks. She's like, you're going to get yeah. fired someday. I'm like, nah. If I get fired someday, then so what? I'll just go entirely independent with my company. You know, like uh, there there are worse <laughs> things that could happen. In the meantime, I'll just be as honest as I can be. I think sometimes when I wake up, if Robert or Jason call me and say, "Hey, he's gone," but we're still on air, if you want to hang out, I'm like, "All right, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about boobs and First Amendment today, with or without Clay." So, uh, congratulations on keeping your job with Fox News. I need to get yeah the Fox News uh, the profiles up. I need to get boobs and First Amendment shirts made. I mean, I think those would do pretty well. Uh, all right, Game Two is going on in Boston between the Celtics and the Wizards. What's the vibe up there? The Celtics now have won five in a row. They seem to have gotten on a roll after losing the first two at home to begin the playoffs. Can really kind of take a, a big step. If you win the first two games of a series, unlikely I think the Wizards are going to come back and win four out of five down the stretch. So how massive of a game is this for Boston? Well, it's really big. And, I mean, you talk about the irony of, of if you lose the first two games, you're probably not going to win the series. I mean, we just saw the Celtics do that in the first round. But the difference is the Bulls had no business being on the court with them. And, and the first two games in the first series – the Celtics were dealing with a lot of stuff off the court with Isaiah Thomas's sister passing away, and, and the team just didn't look like uh, they had any chemistry at all. And I think that's the big vibe in Boston right now is this team is playing its best basketball. But, I mean, let's be honest. The thing with Washington is if Marquise Morris isn't playing, um, it's going to be difficult for them no matter what. And I think you saw that in game one, that as soon as they lost him, they really did lose the game. And to be up 16-0 to in the first quarter, and I was at the Garden for that game, Clay, it was completely deflated. It was like, you know, somebody had just died in the, in the arena because everyone was like, oh, my God, here come the, the Celtics that we expected to see. But now with that momentum, this is huge. And really the vibe up here, it's very interesting. When the Celtics suck, everyone's like, oh, we told you the Celtics suck. But when they win a game, it's like, okay, when are they going to start sucking again? 
So that's what I think people are waiting for tonight is can the Celtics really look as good as they did on Sunday? And I think the answer is yes. I think if they all continue to play the way they do, um, I think they can take this series. I mean, I think they don't have any chance of beating Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Finals, but taking that next step uh, with Brad Stevens and this Isaiah Thomas team is going to be really good for Boston. But in reality, I don't see it going much past you know game five or six with the Cavs anyways if it even gets there. We're talking to Casey Smith. Follow her on Twitter at KYC Smith. She's in Boston. She's on a television show up there. Casey, how much did you guys talk at all about the Boston Red Sox controversy with the Orioles last night, or did that happen so quickly that you guys weren't really addressing it? How much do you think you'll talk about the Adam Jones situation, the racial slurs supposedly that were tossed out from the bleachers on your show tonight? Oh, we talked a lot about it last night. Now, the Adam Jones thing happened so late. Um, that we didn't get to touch on it too much, but we did address it. This series with the Orioles has been dramatic from the beginning with all the Dustin Pedroia stuff and the unwritten baseball rules, which I can't stand about, you know, if you've got to plunk somebody and all that. It's just very petty to me, um, and I know baseball fans hate me for saying that, but this stuff with Adam Jones um, is clearly a lot different, and we had some guys in the studio last night that have played professional baseball that have been around Boston for a long time, and the thing is, is that the, the aura of Boston is that it's racist. And guys that have grown up here say that's absolutely not true and that anywhere you go, you're going to find racism. The problem is, is that when this stuff happens at Fenway, um, it, it's terrible. It doesn't matter where you are. It's terrible no matter what. But it does get more attention because of the history that this city has. And so when we saw that happen last night, look, it's a disgrace no matter where you are. But at people that are from here, take it a lot more personally because they don't want it to be seen as something that everybody from Boston does. Now, I'm clearly not from here. I'm from the South. I'm fully aware of what racism looks like. So it sucks either way, but it is worth talking about because for some reason, Boston does have that stereotype. And I think people work a lot harder to prove that that's not the case. But this Red Sox series with the Orioles has been dramatic from the very beginning. And this is just the next step. The problem is that this is an actual problem that needs to be solved on a bunch of guys getting pissed because they're throwing pitches at each other I'll never understand that but I know that that's a baseball thing so I've got to got to just deal with it and move on I think it's insane I've been on that for a long time the idea that baseball and I think hockey the same way uh that they have all these unwritten rules I mean guys get the crap beaten out of them in hockey all the time and if I were investing millions of dollars in top players the last thing I want is somebody to square off in a fist fight and the same thing is true in baseball at some point when you're throwing at each other, somebody's going to get severely hurt, and they're going to say, why in the world was this ever the policy that we took, right? I mean, and I understand there's an unwritten code about exactly what you're supposed to do when you throw at each other, but to me, this is just a sign that the baseball season goes on too long. It's 162 games, and so guys are just looking for reasons to care about individual games when otherwise, I mean, 162 games is just so unbelievably long. Even if you're a huge baseball fan, the season drags on at some point. Yeah, it's unreal. And, I mean, I've said before, like, I love going to baseball games. I love sitting there with beers and watching the games with my friends, whatever. But I cannot sit and watch baseball 162 games a year on television. I'd rather just follow it on Twitter. However, when this drama flares up, it makes it a little bit more interesting. But to me, like I said, it's very petty. And you see exactly what's happening with the Red Sox. You know, it all started with Dustin Pedroia getting spiked, whether it was on accident or not. And then all this stuff blew up because he didn't want a guy getting a ball thrown at his head. And we saw that happen. A guy at Manny Machado almost got a ball thrown at his head at over 90 miles an hour. I'd be pissed too. Like, hey, man, I don't want to see that happen. But now it's, oh, he, you know, disgraced his teammates. And then, you know, what the Orioles are going to do in retaliation. And it just feels like petty drama in high school to me. 
And I said that on air and I got a lot of people like, oh, you've never been in a baseball locker room. You don't understand. I'm like, I just don't get the unwritten rules because in, in football, if Tom Brady got drilled in the head on the way out to the sidelines, it'd be this huge story like, oh, my God, how unsportsmanlike. Yet we've got guys throwing 90 miles an hour pitches at each other. Whether they're trying to throw it at their head or not, it's still getting pretty close to it. So I think it's, you know, it's ridiculous. But, hey, it gives me something to talk about, so I can't complain. No doubt at all. We're talking to Casey Smith. She was, she's from Texas, has moved to Boston, now covering Boston sports. You've been to Fenway Park for a couple of games now. A lot of people, I feel like, who listen to us may not have had the opportunity to go to Fenway Park, but you're now recently have gone for your first time. What's the experience like for people who may not get a chance themselves to go to Fenway and watch a game, it along with Wrigley Field, probably the two most iconic old-school stadiums that still exist in Major League Baseball? What's the experience like to watch a game there? You know, I, I grew up loving baseball. I went to the ballpark in Arlington watching the Rangers my entire life, and I never really understood why people outside of, of Fenway and Wrigley were like, oh, we've got to get there. And now I totally understand. I mean, outside of the history – it was like baseball is going to feel like baseball anywhere, and, and that's absolutely false. I mean, I'm, I went to, to Patriots Day like we talked about last time I was on, and it's just a completely different feeling. And you get that old-school vibe where these people just live and breathe baseball. And, you know, Fenway's kind of small when you get inside of it. It's, it's almost underwhelming from a size standpoint, but the history that's there, you know, they've got the, a lot of the original seats um, that are still in there. They've got the – just the history around that place is incredible. And just the feeling to be inside of it as a baseball fan, and I'm by no means a, a live or die fan. Like I said, I can't even watch 162 games on TV, and I get the chills being in there, and I'm not trying to be overdramatic. That, it truly is something uh, that you need to go see. But baseball fans, I talked to a lot of Cubs fans. I went to the Cubs game over the weekend, and there's, I mean, there was half Chicago fans inside the ballpark. And I was like, how, why, why are you guys here? And it's like, because why would we miss this series in this ballpark. So I highly recommend going to it. I've got a lot of buddies coming up. They don't care that I live here. They just care that I live close to Fenway. So um, I'm sure I'm going to be housing a lot of people over the summer, but it's, it's an incredible experience and uh, the green monsters fun to watch. And as long as the Red Sox are winning, Boston fans are happy. And if I can drink beer and, and watch sports, I'm happy. So a uh, great experience, no doubt. Casey Smith. Amen there. You can follow her on Twitter at Casey Smith, K A Y C E Smith. And enjoy the uh, game tonight, Celtics and the Washington Wizards, game two of the Eastern Conference semifinals. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Clay. Don't get fired. I'll try not to. That's the goal every single day. Or at least if you get fired, make it happen in such a way that it's spectacular and it gets me more attention than I already got. I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free when the time comes to plan your next big getaway know we got a destination idea for you orlando just think about it the thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks followed by awesome outdoor adventures amazing food festivals and top-notch dining spots orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect in orlando anything is possible if you can imagine it plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. that's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway